All right. Well, good morning, FBC family, and 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 maybe there's some of you that have joined us who aren't even part of our church family, um, but you've tuned in with us this morning. You've, you've someone shared the the Facebook page or the, our link to our YouTube page, and, and you decided to join us. Well, welcome. Uh, we are glad you're with us. Before we get started, listen, we're gonna keep our social distance, but I'm, for everyone here, I'm going to get our FBC Hope selfie. So here you go, guys. Here we are. I don't know if you can even see the scattering of people. All right, we'll, we'll, get, that, we'll get that up. We'll get that up later on. Um, listen, this is still a very odd thing, uh, certainly, to be here. It's, I know it's odd for even some of you out there, but we're going we're gonna to make the best of it. Um, I do want to thank the Lord that we have the ability to do it this way. The technology of our day, while certainly used by our adversary in many ways, it does afford us the opportunity to stay connected uh, while being yet apart. And that's an opportunity that didn't exist not even that many years ago. So I do thank the Lord that it exists today. And because it exists, we still get to study the Bible together. We still get to worship together such as it is, uh, even though we're all locked away uh, in our separate homes. But so, so let's go ahead and study the Bible together and see what happens. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I, and I hope you do, we're, we're going to have the, the verses up on the screen. But if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn. I'd encourage you to take notes. We obviously don't have the handout and the bulletin for you today. But if you have a notebook and, and you're interested in taking notes, grab it. And, and maybe God will teach you something through that. But I invite you to turn, turn with me to the book of Acts. And we are going to be studying Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 12 this morning, and we are going to look at the Considering Cure for Crisis. And I'll explain that title. Uh, the sounds a little weird, I know, but I'll explain it to you as we go along. The Considering Cure for Crisis. Now, I think there are a lot of words that can des describe what we're living through today. But safe to say that crisis is one of them. And this coronavirus or COVID-19 crisis has us living and maneuvering through life and church and work and social interaction in ways that were barely imaginable, not even three weeks ago. And sometimes life comes at you fast. And this crisis has certainly come at all of us fast. And because of that, this is a time of trial and testing and suffering for us as individuals and, and families, but also us as a church. And I know there are many good Bible-believing Christians, many good pastors that even may disagree a little bit with that last statement. And they would say, you know, really, this isn't suffering at all. Um, if you look at history, if you particularly church history, you know, that's where you'll see real suffering. I mean, we're, we're not being burned at the stake or anything like that because we believe the Bible. You know, we just have to hole up in our house for a while and our, our retirement accounts may be a good bit lighter than they were before, but that's not suffering. And I get, and I get that. That's, that's absolutely truth. It's, it's, it's certainly not that, but what I'll, I'll tell you this is, um, is this is an attack on our faith. And the devil is going to use this to try to attack you personally. And he's going to try to get you discouraged. And he's going to try to get you depressed, and he's going to try to get you to lose faith. So it is an attack on our faith, and I would also say 
that suffering and adversity and tribulation take on different forms at different times. And if we don't view it the way God wants us to view it, we miss the opportunity to be changed by it. Because that's actually the point of all suffering and adversity and tribulation. It is to get us to look to Christ. We know the verses like 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So listen, I want to I say something here from the very beginning to try to get our minds where they need to be. Because if your mindset today is, let's just hunker down, let's get through this, and in a couple months, everything will be back to normal. I want to tell you that's the wrong mindset. Because we need to allow this, what we are going through, what is happening, to, we need to allow this to change us forever. For God's glory, we need to allow this to bring us into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings so that we can be more like him, we can view ministry more, more like he did. We need to allow this to move our perspective from that which is temporal to that which is eternal. And that will only happen if we look to him in the midst of it. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14, it's a very interesting verse says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. For God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Listen, I, you know, if you're anything like me, we can get the first part of that verse down okay. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Uh, uh, listen, I'm good at that. I can be joyful when things are going well. And listen, that's a good thing. You don't have to feel bad about that. The Bible tells you, man, be joyful when things are going well. But when we go through adversity in life, like we are now, that is the time for us to consider some things. And the answer to what we really need to consider is found in, in the immediately preceding verse, verse 13, which says, consider the work of God. For who can make that straight, which he hath made crooked? Brothers and sisters, in days like today, in days of adversity, we are to consider the work of God. Because the answer to the rhetorical question of who can make straight that which is crooked, there in verse 13, is only God. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 16 says, And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. So, I mean, practically, here's what that means for us. God's still in control. And God can straighten out nature. Even though nature does not have a straight line, ask any landscape painter about that. So if the coronavirus is just a random occurrence of nature that God has allowed to happen, God can make that straight. Consider his work. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, for a moment, that the coronavirus is something more sinister. Let's say it's the, the work of the devil. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying necessarily that the, that the devil started it, but hang with me for a second, because I do know that the devil knows that we are stronger together. 
And he is always at work separating and dividing. That is what he does. That is what he always does. So let's just say that's the case here. Well, guess what? God can straighten him out too. Isaiah 27 verse 1 says, In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. That's, that's speaking of our adversary, the devil. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So I want to encourage you this morning to not let the crookedness of this world and everything that is against Christ, don't let the crookedness of what we're dealing with get you confused. Because here's what is at danger. Confusion leads to spiritual captivity. God is still in control, don't forget that. And listen, we can never get the personal cure for this crisis if we are captured by and in captivity to something other than Christ. Even if that's our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own fears. And that is the great danger for us today and every day being captive to our fears and to our flesh. And I, th I think that's actually one of the great hypocrisies or, and ironies, maybe, of our Christian life, because we, particularly as Americans, we talk about the great freedom that we have, and, and yet we are living in the midst of captivity. Because the fact is, while we are called to be captured by the Lord, we are instead imprisoned by so many other things. In the book of Philippians, Paul tells us that who we're to be captured by. Philippians 3, verse 12 says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. You see, we're good, and we can get excited and talk about the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the goodness of God, and we should. We should celebrate and, and, and share all of that. We don't so much like to talk about the apprehension of God, how he has apprehended all that are his. We are blood-bought. And I think if the last couple of weeks have taught us anything, it's that we're not really as free as we think. So we might as well surrender our lives to Christ. That's a better option than the government, I promise you. But truly, I do want you to consider all of this in light of what we're going through in our current world. Why is it that God is the only one that we ignore when he asks for our enslavement? We obey the government, and, and we absolutely should do that. We obey our own flesh. We absolutely shouldn't do that. Let's obey God, too. Because the truth is, there is always something in your life besides God that is seeking your all. I mean, how many marriages have we seen where the father was asked to give up everything? The marriage, the kids, his friends at church, everything he knows for an adulterous affair. How many young girls have we seen that are willing to sacrifice their bodies, their purity, their emotions, their friends for a boyfriend? How many people do you know that basically sacrifice everything by willingly placing themselves under the master of their job. Listen, whether you are willing to admit it or not, someone or something is going to come calling your name and going to come calling for your life, seeking all of you. And like I said, the hypocritical thing about 
is, is when it is God, we don't like it. And I say the position is hypocritical because everything else that seeks your enslavement is only looking to take from you. God only asks for your enslavement after he willingly gave everything to you. God is unique because he asked for your all, but only after he gave his all. God said, I'm going to become a man so that I can give up everything for you, to compel you to give everything to me. God calls us to bondage, but he did it first. Nothing else has, nothing else will, nothing else can. But God can and God has. And the cross should compel you to give your all to him. Even in times like this. Especially in times like this. And that's what I want to show you this morning. A, a bit of an extended introduction. But I, 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 I think that lays the, the groundwork for what we're going to see out of the book of Acts this morning. Where we see a church under adversity. And it was a time of dispersion and separation, kind of like we find ourselves today. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 says, and this is sort of the, the, the flip verse to Acts 1.8, but Acts 8.1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So they were suffering great persecution. They were scattered abroad, and yet down in verse 4, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And they continued to look above and not look around. And they didn't box God out. They allowed those trials to strengthen their faith, and ultimately God got the glory. Because by the time we get down to Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, this group of believers is said to have turned the world upside down. And when I read verses like that, it stirs my soul. And I view it from our world today, and I think, listen, since our physical world kind of is turned upside down, why don't we be like those first century Christians and return the favor? Those guys had great faith in trying times, and, and I want to show you one particular example of that today because I think it gives us a good template for how to deal with the times in which we are living, how to deal with with this crisis. And as we're going to see as a church, we're all in this together. And we all have a role to play. So let's get into the details. Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1. We'll read down through verse 12. The Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth that same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. 
When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Let's, let's do just that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do, we do love you. And, 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 and in the midst of this crazy time, Lord, we want to continue to look to you. We want to continue to put our faith in you and trust in you. And so, Lord, I ask that you strengthen all of us this morning through your word. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit does the work that only he can do um, to teach us and, and, and to compel us Lord, to view life in the way that you want us to view it and get out of this what we need to be better soldiers for you as we look to the future, as we look to the, the, the soon return, the soon coming for you to catch us forth, to catch us up in the air with you, Lord. We look forward to that day. And Lord, help us be faithful to that day, uh, serving you with all we've got. And we use this message today, Lord, to, to, to bring us in a, in a closer walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have one of those amazing, true stories out of the book of Acts. And in this story, I see four keys that give us this cure for the crisis. So these four keys are what we need all of you to be doing. And I mean that. You have willingly placed yourself under our pastoral authority. So during this time, we are going to lead you to the best that we know how. Listen, this is new for all of us. We're not really sure what we're doing, but we're going to lead you to, as God leads us. That means this message is going to be very simple and very instructive. I'm going to give you four things that we need you to do so this church moves closer to turning the world upside down. And the first key is that point number one, we need FBC to pray. I told you this was going to be simple. You're not going to need uh, any, any detailed uh, brain work this morning. But in this time of crisis, we all need to be people of prayer. And not only for ourselves, but for each other. Let me show you how this plays out in our passage. Look again, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the time Herod, the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James the brother of John with a sword, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. He was just being egged on. Then were the days of unleavened bread, so we're getting near Passover. And when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him into four quaternions of soldiers. That's four groups of four. So there's 16 soldiers. And they're to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So I think we can all agree that, you know, Peter's in some sort of pickle here. So to you know, give you a quick summary, his buddy James has been killed. He's now in prison, about to be killed himself. And he's surrounded by 16 guards keeping 24-hour watch over him. I mean, that, that's some trouble. Now, I do want to establish a very quick caveat here that's important, and that is Peter is in trouble by no fault of his own. He was dealing with unjust persecution. And listen, this coronavirus is no doing of our own, not personally at least. It's just something the Lord has allowed to come on all of us. And I just point that out because it, if I were preaching a different message at a different time, I'd point out that much of the trouble we get into is our own doing. And when you walk into trouble, God's going to allow you to stay there or you need to 
he'll help you, but you got, you got some work to do to walk out on your own. But, but that isn't the case here. This isn't the case with Peter. Now look at verse 5, and when we get our key need here, Acts 12, verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. See, in verse 5 it says prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. It was, it, was, it was what they were doing. Peter had brothers and sisters in Christ that were praying for him. So when the church is in a time of crisis, the first thing we need to do is pray. You see, what it, it didn't say they gathered around to figure out a plan. What they did was pray and allow God to bring them a plan if there was such a thing. And so we need you to pray. It's the first thing we all need to do. And we need to pray prayers that are full of faith because when we pray, we should believe it will work. We're not going to finish out this chapter, but, but if you take time you know, later today or this week, you'll read that when, when Peter was rescued, it kind of surprised them. We, we need prayers that are full of faith because, listen, it will work according to God's will always. Always. Now, this point of relying on prayer and having people pray for us has a few implications. First of all, if for you to be in a position where, where people are praying for you, you need to be a part of, or at least know someone who's a part of a praying people. That's us. That's our church. But, and, and for us specifically, that is our life groups. So Craig gave you the, the announcement about how we're, how we're going to do life groups for the, for the foreseeable future, working through those Facebook groups. So we want to connect with you that way because we want to pray for you. We want our life groups to, to maintain contact because we want to pray for you. And if you need something, we want to know. So if you don't regularly go to church, or, or, or maybe more specifically, you don't have a life group, why don't you join one? You can go to our website, and you can find out all the information there. Just pick one and get connected. So that when we go back to having church, you have a place to, to call home again. And you can make that part of your spiritual life. Now I know for many of you it's not an issue, but th there are some people that need to hear it. Or maybe some of you are watching and you aren't even a part of our church. If that's you, I want you to know we love you and God loves you and there's a place for you here. It would be our privilege to pray for you. You can go to our website and learn all about that. That's the first implication. Then the next implication is that in order to rely, for us to be able to rely on each other for prayer, others need to know that you need to be prayed for. That means that we as a church, we need to know if we need to be praying for you about something. So that if you have a problem, please tell somebody. Please connect to those life groups. If you need help, get the word out. Let us know so that prayer can be made without ceasing. For you as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be able to rely on each other, particularly in this time. But because of our pride, many times we don't tell each other that we need prayer. We're simply not honest with each other. We don't express our fears and our weaknesses and our concerns with each other. And I know how it is. I'm just like you. We have things that we don't really want other people to know about us. And I get that. And I'm not saying go tell your business to the world. But if you need prayer, tell some, somebody something. God knows the details. Let's get people praying for each other. Let's get people praying for you. We all need prayer partners in this fight. 
We see a great example of that very thing in the book of Exodus with Moses and Aaron and her. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 11 and 12 says, And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This is when the nation of Israel was fighting against the Malachites, and God told Moses to go up into the mountain and pray, but, and, and, and as he's doing it, to lift his hands to the Lord. And Moses had Aaron and her to help him in that fight. And we need help in our fight sometimes too. And that's okay. God did not put us in this battle by ourselves. There are other people in your life and in this church who want to partner with you in prayer. Moses needed the help of Aaron and her, and he got it. Which leads to the flip side of this. The, the, kind of the next implication of having folks pray for, having us pray for each other. And then as, as God's people, we need to be reliable. We need to make sure that we're doing it. We need FBC to pray, especially in times like this. And when another brother and sister puts out their need for prayer, we need to follow through and do it. How many times, how, how many of us are guilty of someone asking us to pray for them? And we say we will, and we just don't. And we move on about our life, and we just forget. It's not with bad intentions. We don't intend to lie. We just move on. We shouldn't do that. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I hope this crisis of our day gets us back to being dependent upon the Lord in prayer. Ian Bounds says, when the church, What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods but through men. He does not anoint plans but men, men of prayer. And what better day than today should we hear that we certainly don't need better buildings and more comforts today we need folks praying and this group here in acts 12 cease not praying for peter they they prayed without ceasing that's what paul tells us to do in first thessalonians and paul didn't just preach that by the way he lived it too philippians 1 4 talking to the the group there at philippi he said always in every prayer of mine for you all making a request with joy. There's consistency to prayers. He's always praying, and every time he prays, he's praying for them. That's what we need. Matthew Henry said, For prayers and tears are the church's arms. Therewith she fights, not only against her enemies, but for her friends. And friend, I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. You know, and, and we, want, we need each other praying for each other. We want you to pray for us. And sometimes we struggle to find 5, 10, 15 minutes a day to pray. And Samuel, speaking to the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel 12, 23, said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. You know, I think our problem is we don't view it as sin when we neglect to pray for each other. It doesn't bother us when we're not praying for each other. I don't know why, it just doesn't. We need to take seriously our responsibility of prayer, especially during the times when we have, we have those around us in need. In fact, I think God loves to hear his sons and daughters crying out in total dependence to him. 
And I know what it says in our, our discipleship lesson about how prayer is not to change God's mind and prayer is for us and not for God. And of, of course that's true. I get that. I understand that. I believe that. I also know that God is a loving, compassionate God. And he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities, according to Hebrews 4.15. As a group of his children praying and crying out earnestly for someone or something, I also know he hears. And you see, his providence is adaptable. Not everything is predetermined aforetime. And I'm not saying he's obligated to change anything. Of course he's not. He's God. But the Bible also says the effectual fervent man, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I say let's pray. And once we start that, there's still more to do. Look back at Acts chapter 12 and we get to our second key. And we get to verse 6. So we need FBC to pray, but then next, we need FBC to be at peace. Look there in Acts chapter 12, verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him, this is speaking of Peter, when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Okay, so not the, I think this one is kind of interesting. Again, I want you to get the picture here. I've already told you the picture a couple times, but I'm going to tell you one more time. Again, James, just killed. Peter's in prison, set to be killed the next day. He's stuck between two guards. There are 14 other guards around somewhere. He's bound with chains, and he's asleep. He's at rest. In the midst of this crazy situation, he is apparently at peace. How is that possible? Well, it goes back to where we started. It's because he has already willingly been apprehended by the Lord. So he knows these Roman guards can't do anything to him that God doesn't allow. And if God allows it, it has to be okay, right? We have to believe that. Even death. But that's what Romans 8.28 tells us. And we know that all things, all things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So he just chooses to trust. As should we. Because listen, having peace and rest is in direct correlation with your trust of God. So let me ask you, when you are in a tough situation, do you trust God's will or do you want control? Or, or maybe better said, will you submit to God's answer, or do you want the final say? And I'm telling you that your peace is in direct correlation with your trust of God, and your trust of God is in direct correlation for the cure for any crisis. The truth is, is if you want to get out of whatever bondage you are in, then you need to give control of your life back to God. We carry, all of us, we carry such worry and heavy burden around the situations that we can't control, the situations that we are in bondage to because we refuse to give that control over to God. We just want to hold on to it. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You see, there are times in our lives that we can't even properly manage our lives, certainly not to the glory of God, but even personally at times. 
And it's because we're too weighed down by the baggage and the sin that we are carrying. We end up carrying around this burden. That is what the word weight means. Let us lay aside every weight. That literally means burden. Let us lay aside our burdens. Lay aside the sins. So easily beset us. Set us back. So we end up carrying it around. And the burden keeps us from moving forward in faith. It's a burden of worry. It's, a, it's just a burden of anguish. And so it becomes too much for us to bear and we stumble. And Paul says here, you don't have to do that. You don't have to let the weight of your burdens drag you down. What you have to do is lay them aside. And lay aside, in, in, in the same way that weight literally means burden, lay aside literally means put off. And we see that phrase in other places in the Bible. Because we've been commanded to put off the old man. That old nature of sin that wants to keep us down and keep us in a state of crisis. Ephesians 4 verses 22 through 24 says, That ye put off concerning the former conversations the old man, that you lay aside. You lay aside that old man, you put it off, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We don't even have time to talk about it, but there's, there's, no, there's no coincidence here. Compare 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, to, to this verse and the importance of our mind in dealing with the, the weight and the burden and the worry and the bondage that we're in. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we put off the old man. We put on the new man. Here's the beautiful thing. As part of that process, what happens is we get to switch burdens with Jesus. We have our burden. And when we put off the old man and we put on Christ, our burden goes with the old man. And now we put on the burden of Christ which in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can be at peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your burdens, your worries, your vain imaginations, they are all a part of your old man. So leave them with the old man. Lay them aside. Trade burdens with Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when you do that, you trade a temporal weight of sin that you have to carry for an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, when we renew, when, we, when our outward man perishes and we put it off and we renew our inward man, that means we, we, we get the burden of Jesus and it's light. And what it does, it's it, the, the, uh, the burdens that we have to deal with, we realize they're light because they're just for a moment. And they worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. 
what you want is an eternal weight. Because when you put off the old man, when you move forward in faith, it does not mean that things will be easy. It means your perspective will change. And you'll view things from an eternal purpose. And you'll see that the light affliction you face is just for now. It's a moment. Our life is a vapor, according to James 4. But if you keep looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith, during that affliction, there's an eternal reward that will come out of that. An eternal weight of glory. First Baptist Church, let's get that. For his glory and the power of the Spirit, you do not have to be weighed down by this adversity. Give it to God and live in the peace that you have promised in Christ. You see, there is rest in Jesus, but you have to give him control. You have to understand this morning that he wants to help you. The question is whether you want his help or not. But please know that he does want to help you. All of us have placed, all of us that have placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are his children. And as his children, he loves us. Listen, I do not care what my kids get themselves into. into. I pray every day they don't get themselves into anything bad. But I don't care what they get themselves into. I'll do whatever it takes to get them out as long as it's right and honoring to God. Because I love them. But just like with our kids, God is limited by whatever level of control we give him. If you won't turn your life over to him, he can't help get you out of your bondage. The obvious example is someone on drugs. Till they give up control, things won't change. People all around them can be there to help do whatever it is that they need, but that person has to give up control first. And without that, it won't work. So listen, God wants control of your life this morning. And that's what I mean when, when I started and said, man, if, if your mindset is just let's hunker down and let's get things back to normal, it's a wrong mindset. Allow this to change you forever. And if you've never given God control of your life, why don't you do it today? Why don't you do it now? At the point you give God control, you can be at peace. You can have complete supernatural rest. You can be like Peter and be asleep in the midst of craziness. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. No, rest in the Lord. Rest and peace are precious commodities. And if you're in the midst of bondage this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because maybe you haven't had any peace. Maybe you haven't had any rest for a few days. So let me just say, if that is you, just go back home. Be like that prodigal son and just go back home. God will come running to you, I promise. Because at home you can have rest. And you can have peace. At home, God is in control and everything is going to be okay. Even if craziness is still surrounding you. If you're at home, you're going to be okay. Give God back the control of your life. It is necessary for you to get the cure in this crisis. But when you do, the third key opens up and this whole thing moves to a different level. See, I told you key number two was kind of interesting. Key number three is where things get really interesting. Because after you have peace and you can focus on what's next and what's next is number three, 
we need FBC to pursue. Look back at Acts chapter 12, starting over 7. I'll explain that. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, Peter, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel, the angel departed from him. So listen, I mean, what we read here is just a superhero storyline. I mean, this is, this is probably the next Marvel movie. I don't even know. But the fact is, for Peter's faith, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. The angel of the Lord, which is its, its own interesting study, it's just not for today, he rescues Peter, but Peter has to follow. He has to pursue the angel. He has to pursue after Jesus diligently and steadfastly. And, and when I said Jesus, that's kind of a clue if you've never done that angel of the Lord study on your own. But, but let me break it down. To get the scene again. Peter's in jail. He's asleep between two soldiers, 14 others around, 16 total. And the angel of the Lord, full of light, comes in telling him they are leaving. And look at Peter's response at the beginning of verse 9. And he went out and followed him. When I talk about pursuing God, if, if you want the true cure for your crisis, I'm talking about taking that step, following the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense. It's like, but, I mean, I, you know, I've used the example of before with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, you know, they could have bowed down. They could have bowed down to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar and the, the, the golden statue. And, 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 you know, what would have happened? I, I don't know what would have happened. The Bible, they didn't do that. So we don't, we don't have to know. But, you know, I think God would have forgiven them. Whatever would have happened. But look at what they would have missed. The opportunity, they, they spent the night in the fiery furnace with the Son of God missed that opportunity. So this is the same with Peter. I mean, this is a superhero storyline. Well, let finish this out. Look at, Peter didn't have to follow, but look at what he would have missed. So you need to ask yourself every day, what am I missing from not following the Lord? What am I missing? What great adventure, what great just time with the Lord am I missing if I don't pursue you see, if you give him control, like we talked about in our last point, he's going to take it, and he, he's going to ask you to do some stuff that you might not want to do, or ask you to do some stuff that might be confusing at first. You see there at the end of verse 9, Peter was a little confused at the situation himself. He wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He wasn't even sure what was happening, but he followed. Even when maybe conventional wisdom said there's no way to make it out of there alive. You see, Peter knew the truth. He wasn't getting out of this situation alive if he stayed. So he might as well follow. And that is true of you and me as well. When we give ourselves to the enemy instead of the Lord, it will be death to us. Physical death, spiritual death, whatever. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. It obviously applies to the unbeliever. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that means you are on a path of total destruction in hell. 
forever tormented away and separated from God. But that verse applies to the believer as well. It's a different kind of death. You, you can spiritually, you can spiritually experience death. I mean, we obviously have the Holy Spirit who has made us alive, but you can quench him to the point that for practical purposes, your life is like a dead man. Don't do that. Don't go down that road. Follow the Lord. Pursue him. And really, at the end of the day, that's the key right there. You, you need all the other things that we've talked about, but this is the key that ultimately le- led Peter to his escape. If Peter hadn't followed, he wouldn't have got out. That's, that's a real profound statement right there. But listen, if you don't follow, you won't either. But when you do follow, you might get to see some pretty cool stuff along the way. I mean, check out what happened here. The angel woke Peter up, told him to get his shoes on. They took off past all the soldiers. He's diving and ducking and dodging all along the way. I don't know what's happening. They make it out of the prison. They're stopped by the gate, and the angel pulls some open sesame stunt. It just opened. The gate just opened. And they get through. And about the time Peter realizes what happened, he's made it through this crazy adventure. He turns to say thank you to the guy that let him out. The dude is gone. Nowhere to be found. He's gone. I mean, tell me that wasn't a cool experience. Listen, this is Hollywood movie stuff. They get all their good ideas from the Bible. But you will never get those experiences if you stay stuck and don't pursue God in your situation. There are three things about Peter's pursuit I need you to see just very quickly. You just have to know them up front. First of all, pursuing God might be painful. You see there in verse 7, the Bible says the angel smote Peter on his side. So there are times that coming out of your crisis isn't going to be easy. It might even hurt a little bit, but you can't let that stop you. And the second, this is what we were kind of talking about, pursuing God requires action. So, so that might seem obvious, but I'm telling you anyway. Peter was told to arise and follow. And it took action on Peter's part. And, and the point here is you can't expect you know, to sit on your blessed assurance and do nothing. Still get rescued. Giving God control is the first step, but that's not all. You have to arise and follow. There's so many great pictures in here, in this passage. And then third, pursuing God is time-sensitive. The angel told Peter to not only arise, but to arise quickly in verse 7. There wasn't time to waste. And so just know you have a limited amount of time to follow the Lord. I don't know how long it is. I mean, there's there's a point there will come a point that all of us will face death or, or the rapture will happen. There's a, we all have a limited time. That, like, I, like I told you, you know, our light affliction is but for a moment. James calls, James calls our life a vapor. I don't know how long it is for you. I don't know how long it is for me. And it's different for different situations. But there always comes a time where it's too late. I'm just trying to help somebody out this morning. So pursue the Lord. Follow him. Follow him now. And don't, again, don't view this as something to just get through. No, God wants your attention now. So don't wait. Following the Lord leads to the cure, always. There's one more thing we have to look at. And for this key, I want to go back to where we started. Because this is the capstone. Because here's the thing about being under captivity by the enemy, like Peter was physically, like many of us are spiritually. Even if you break free, 
whatever it is that had control of you before is always there waiting to grab control again. And it's just waiting for you to forget and to let your guard down so it can creep right back in. So to avoid that, you have to go back to the beginning. Because number four, we need FBC to ponder. Look at Acts 12, 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And then look at verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You see, just like Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 told us, in these days of crisis, we need to consider the work of the Lord. Before, during, and after. That is why it is a considering cure. Because let's say this, this goes away, this coronavirus goes away. And it, let's say it goes away in a couple of weeks. I, I don't think any of us think that's true, but let's say it does. Let's say we're considering the Lord now. We're taking this, okay, we're, we're focusing in and... And we're considering the work of the Lord. And we're considering what he's asking of us. We're, we're taking this time to analyze. You, you know what, what Peter did? Is he considered the Lord after he was rescued. So what we need you to do is when we're on the other side of this, don't just take a deep breath and forget what God's trying to do in all of our lives. Because if you allow that to happen, Whatever had you before is going to creep right back in. Consider what God's doing. After Peter was pulled out of the prison and rescued from imminent death, he paused and he pondered, he considered what had happened to him. And I told you in the introduction that according to Ecclesiastes 7.14, when we go through adversity in life, that is the time for us to consider some things. And it's what Peter did on, on the, both the front end, the middle, at the back end. He considered the work of the Lord. He considered the compassion of Christ. And I know it's a crazy time for all of us, for me as well. But in all of it, what we need to do, what we need you to do, is consider the Lord. Bring Him back into the picture. If you've left Him out, and you've allowed your thoughts and your fears to go to places that he doesn't occupy, will you let him back in? And will you just rest in him and have joy in him and be thankful just because? Let me ask you, can you thank the Lord in everything? Because it's what the Bible tells you to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And not only in everything, but can you thank the Lord for all things? That's what the Bible tells you to do. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can only do that if you consider him. Think about him and let your mind stay there. Because no matter what happens in this entire coronavirus crisis no matter how it ends for you and for all of us if you've been saved this morning you've already been delivered so consider and thank the lord for that if nothing else and listen if 
if you've not been saved, if you've never placed your faith in, in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you're in Adam, you're in, you're in sin, you're in your own sin. And you need a Savior. And Jesus Christ came and lived and, and died a death that only he could die to pay for your sins and mine. And, and if you've never put your faith in that, then you need to consider some things. You need to consider the, that work of the Lord. That was the work he did for you. Consider that work of the Lord. And for all of us, we need to be thankful. If, if, if you have placed your faith in him, be thankful. And, and, and consider just the, the, the healing that you already have received. Don't be like nine of those ten lepers in Luke 17 that forgot about him. And Luke 17, verses 15 through 18 says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Listen, has God healed you? Then ponder and consider and be thankful for what he's done. And keep pondering so you don't get caught by the enemy again. And I love what it says back in Acts chapter 12 there in verse 12. It says, And when he had considered the thing. You see, there was no way to describe it. It was just the thing that God did. And isn't that how it is with us sometimes? You find yourself not even being able to explain God's work in your life. Even in the most difficult days, you find yourself saying like Peter, God did this thing. Isn't God good? You know it's all about him. You just don't even have the words to describe it. It's just a God thing. And that's the best kind of thing there is. Because when it's a God thing, you get the cure for the crisis. And when it's a God thing, lives are changed. And when it's a God thing, souls are saved. And when it's a God thing, everything is okay. In fact, everything is great, even when it's not. The hymn says, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Love beyond our human comprehending. Love of God in Christ, how can it be? This will be my theme and never ending. Great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. It is wonderful. And it's able to give you the cure for your crisis. But we need all of you to do these four things. I want the cure for the crisis, but I want you to have it too. So we need you to pray. We need you to be at, pre, at peace that only comes from giving God control. We need you to pursue. You have to want it for yourself, and you have to take action. And then we need you to ponder. We want you to consider the thing and the things that God has done in your life. And after you consider it, go tell someone about it. Go shine the light that God has given you to shine, a light that is needed now more than ever, a light that shines greatest in the dark. You know, Matthew 4.16 says the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And the light of the world did spring up in the man Jesus Christ. Let's spread that as we spread out. You see, this is one more crisis, but it's more than that, it's an opportunity. 
And it's a crisis that we'll get through, and we'll get through it together if we do these four things together. But it's an opportunity that may never come again. So First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, let's consider the Lord. And let's do it together so that we can have our part in turning the world upside down. We're going to pray. The praise team is going to come back up. Listen, I hope the Lord is dealing with you this morning as, as, he, as he's dealt with me this past week. And I hope, he, I hope he deals with you. I hope if he's dealing with you right now, listen, we don't have an altar maybe, you know, in your house like we have here at the church. But listen, if God is asking you to do something, will you do it? Will you spend some time in prayer giving God control back of your life? Will, will you look to him in this time of great adversity, in this time of great trial? Will you put your trust in him so that you can have peace that passeth all understanding? Man, that's what he wants, and that's what we want. Let's get through this together as we serve the Lord together in these ways. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for, for the, the confidence we can have in you in the midst of very confusing and unconfident times. Lord, we can, we can rest in you. So we're thankful for these, these, these stories we see in your Bible of, of, of folks dealing with true persecution and adversity and, Lord, how their faith was strong. And, and that can help us build our faith up. We're told in, in, in the book of Hebrews to, to, to consider, look back at all those. Seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses, Lord, let us move forward in our faith. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.